Amen. Amen. Wow. Thanks for coming to church today. It is a beautiful day to be alive. What a privilege to get to sing with you and lead you in worship. Sure, Ms. Pastor Almeida, but privilege to get to sing with you today. Um, privilege to be back. We went to, um, we were at church last week, but uh, Thanksgiving week we were in Seaside, Oregon. It was really nice to get to be over there by the ocean. It was not warm, but nice to be by the ocean. But welcome to church. First Sunday of December. And uh, hey, we got snow. I'm going to move this out of the way because I'm going to look over here. I was excited uh, that the snow was falling. I'm a nerd enough that last night I checked and it was supposed to start snowing at 6 a.m. So when I got up at 6 a.m. and it was not snowing, I immediately checked the radar, saw that it slowed down a little bit. So glad to see a lot of you back here who I know have not been feeling well. Thank you just for being wise. If you're not feeling well, stay home. And um, that's why we have the live stream. And we're just praying for everyone connected to our church that has been sick to uh, be healed in the mighty name of Jesus. And we've just been praying this whole time during COVID. Uh, for no lasting effects, and that's what we'll continue to pray for for you. Man, such a privilege. The kids are not in here, but uh, such a privilege to lead worship. We do communion with the kids in here. Uh, my son Luke had a stuffed animal that he was singing along with for a little while. It's just so awesome to have them be in here and part of it. Uh, man, such a privilege. So uh, if you're new to our church uh, or you recently started coming, I just want to say thank you for choosing to be at this church on this morning. Uh, there's lots of churches you could go to, so thanks for coming to this one. Um, we believe, we say this all the time, that if we love the family, that we can change the world. We love the family, we can change the world. And if you don't have a family, well, you can have a family here. You can come be part of our family. We are so grateful you're here. Uh, speaking of that, I want to remind you uh, that Pastor Chase, our new youth, young adults pastor, is going to be here full time. He starts next Sunday. Uh, you'll have a few minutes to hear from him. Um, I'm going to be talking about why I love young people, and I do love Young people, I'm really excited about that. Um, his wife, Hannah, is here somewhere today. Chase is hunting. Pastor Chase is hunting. And their little guy, James, uh, she may be back with him in the preschool class. But uh, she's wandering around here today. Uh, he's slacking off hunting, black powder hunting or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, it'll be awesome to have them here uh, starting next week. Uh, part of loving the family is making sure that we are as focused as we can be on reaching every age of young person. Uh, college age and younger. That's the purpose behind hiring them. Um, and Chandra and I can't wait for you to get to meet them. Not that we haven't done a good job with that stuff before, but we just have to focus on it. Um, I, I think I've told you before, I had a pastor that says it's cheaper and easier to lead someone to Jesus before they're 18. And uh, that does ring true. Um, more than that, man, our kids and our college students, they are exposed to so much craziness. And it's our job uh, to shine the light for them. Amen. And that's what we're doing. So, uh, so uh, excited about that. Uh, quickly, I want to remind you what December looks like at our church. Pastor Wendy touched on a little bit of it. Uh, it's going to get more and more Christmassy each week. Uh, it was awesome to get to sing. Uh, came up on a midnight clear with you uh, this morning. We'll sing probably another Christmas song next week. Uh, in two weeks, on the 18th, our kids are going to be performing a couple of Christmas songs. Uh, if you've never been to a, a church thing where kids perform Christmas songs, I'll just tell you, it always goes sideways, and it's always awesome. It's like something funny always happens, and it's always awesome. And there, I know there's plastic buckets and drumsticks and all kinds of stuff involved, so you're going to want to be here for that. Uh, if you've got uh, grandparents, parents you would like to see, come see your kids uh, on that day. Um, uh, of course, we'll have Christmas Eve service, 6 to 7 p.m. We'll do Christmas worship. Um, we'll do a thing for the kids. I'll read the Christmas story. Uh, if you have family in town and you bring them to church on Christmas Eve, I promise they'll hear about Jesus. They'll hear about why we do all this stuff. 
It's not just, just going to be a service we do for the fun of it. They will hear about Jesus. We'll keep you about an hour, and then we'll send you home to your families. Uh, and then just remember we're uh, collecting supplies for the rescue mission all the way through the 18th. Uh, the stuff on the paper is not the only thing you can bring. That's just a suggestion of what they need. Uh, this morning, we are continuing on in this short series that I've been in called The Habits of a Believer. This is Habits of a Believer, uh, part three. And as I shared in the first couple weeks of this series, the genesis of it, of this four weeks that I'm doing, it comes from just like a page or two or maybe a page and a half of this book I read a couple of years ago before we started here called The Sacred Chase. It's by this guy named Heath Adamson. And uh, you'll have to go listen to the podcast from the first couple of weeks of it if you want to hear more about that. But we're talking about the habits of someone who is a believer in Jesus. Because when we call ourselves a Christian, we are saying that we consider ourselves to be uh, Christ followers, right? If you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower. And if we're saying we are followers of Jesus, then it stands a reason that our life will begin to look like his life. And we have his life written down for us in the New Testament. Have any of you ever spent time around puppies? Anyone spent around time around puppies? Puppies? A few puppy, puppy people? If you've been around a puppy... Or especially if you've ever raised one, you know uh, exactly how much work a puppy can be. Um, I've heard, uh, we had one when I was a, like a teenager, and I don't remember it necessarily that well, but uh, I remember it was awesome. <laughs> I don't remember all the work. But I've heard that puppies are like harder than kids because you can't really, can't really understand you like kids can. Um, but you've probably figured out by now, I talk about dogs all the time. I'm a dog person. Uh, uh, I just has always been, you know, some of those people that, that dogs just figure out a dog people and they come find. Well, that is usually me. My son, John, has picked that up. He's that we've taught him, you know, whenever you see a strange dog, you can't just pet it. You have to say, man, please pet your dog, right? And so then he goes and pets the dog and the dog licks him. My son, Luke, also a dog person, he has started clearing a space on his bed so the dog can come up on the bed. Problem is the dog knows he's not supposed to be on the bed, so uh, he waits until I leave, the dog does. And often waits till we go to bed. He'll wait till he hears us go to bed, and then we'll hear his tag jingle when he gets on Luke's bed. All that to say, if you're thinking about, like, getting us a puppy, the answer is no. Don't even think about it. Don't bring it up with my kids. Don't even. <laughs> but one of the things that's always struck me about puppies uh, is, um, is that from the moment they're able to open their eyes and walk around, they start trying to do big dog things, Right? When, as soon as they can move around. I, when we went to pick out that puppy I was talking about, this black lab, and we named her Annie. I named her Annie after the dog and then where the red fern grows. And uh, we went to pick them up, and there was this breeder, whoever, had like 10 or 12 of them. And I was, I think I was probably 10 or 11. And I'll never forget these black lab puppies. Like, you know, once they learn how to walk around, they just want to chew on stuff, right? And they came over, and I had a pair of shoes on that was pretty new. And these 12 puppies came around me, and they just surrounded my legs, and they just all of them chewed by shoelaces to nothing. I had no shoelaces when I left. Of course, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. My parents, not as much. But puppies, they start acting like they've seen other big dogs act. It's so amazing to see like little puppy retrievers retrieve duck decoys just like their parents. And they've got no idea, these puppies do, they've got no idea that they're tiny and hilarious and clumsy, that their feet are way too big for their body, they can't even walk straight. They just know that they want to do what the other big dogs are doing. That's the only thing they know. And when it comes to our habits as people on this earth, 
This is the reason we're talking about the habits of Jesus. It's because if we want to be followers of Christ, then copying his habits in our everyday life is that's the place where we want to start. Ah, oh, you know, we might be clumsy and all over the place when we first start. We might just go chew up all the shoelaces because that's all we know to do. But if being like Christ is in our hearts, then all we know is that we want to be like him. The puppies, all they know is they want to be like the big dogs. If we're going to be like Christ, all we know is we want to be like him. And we plunge forward each day trying to be like him. We've talked about so far four different habits of believer that we see in the life of Christ up to this point. Now, I'll just mention them quickly to you so you have a reference point. I'm not going to spend any time besides just saying them. You have to go listen to the previous weeks. Uh, but the first week, we talked about how a believer, like Jesus, a believer welcomes questions and also embraces truth. Those two things go together. And in part two, we talked about how a believer submits to authority just like Jesus did. And also that Jesus created spiritual rhythm in his life. That brings us to the fifth habit of a believer this morning. And we see in the New Testament that number five, or number one this morning, Jesus made scripture a priority. Jesus made scripture a priority. If we're going to pattern our lives after Jesus, then it makes sense that we place importance on the same things that Jesus placed importance on. And when we say that Jesus made scripture a priority, we're saying that the fruit of his life, the stuff that we can read about in the New Testament, the fruit of Jesus' life, it made it obvious that he made it a priority. We're going to read out of Matthew 4 uh, here in a moment if you'd like to turn there and, and be ready or flip your device or whatever. And in every one of our lives, I believe this wholeheartedly, you can make a direct correlation between how we spend our time and energy and how important certain things are in our life. You look at how someone spends their time, how they spend their money, um, then we can see how important things are in their life. I think something that is familiar to us illustrates to us this concept really well is the way that we interact with our family, however it's set up. I've been around countless people who would say, and I think almost everyone I ever run into would say, they would all say family is the most important thing. Well, I think all of us in this place would say, you're good people, you would all say family is the most important thing. Um, you run into, when you work in churches, every senior pastor ever in the world will say, family is the most important thing. They don't all like live that out. <laughs> Or, or let their staff live it out. But they all say family is the most important thing. And I'll tell you, man, it was 15 years ago. It was a while. But I remember it's such an adjustment when you get married and then all of a sudden you must consider someone else's opinion. It's no longer an option. Before you're married, it's an option. But once you get married, you don't get to choose anymore. If your family's going to be a priority, it's no longer an option. I will never, ever, ever forget my wife could probably tell you, explain this to you better. But uh, we are big um, uh, Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey, you know, we, we did that whole thing. And uh, my dad, uh, they're not here today, but my, my dad's taught that class before. My parents have taught it. And they were really into it. And I had kind of, I was, you know, single and out of college. And my budgeting, I did fine with my money, but it consisted of put the money in the bank. And if I wanted to buy something expensive, I would eat ramen noodles every day for two weeks so I could buy the expensive thing. That's just what you do when you're a single guy, right? I was 22. And uh, when we got married, my dad, or as we were engaged, my dad gave Shauna this book, uh, Total Money Makeover, I think, that has the whole cash envelope and uh, zero-based budget and all the stuff that we do now and I think do a pretty good job of. And she read it, and she, man, she's like, oh, we got to do this. And we didn't have a lot of debt anyway, but she's like, we have to do this. 
you got to read this book. And I was like, okay. So I read the book and it's like, fine, we'll do it. And the first month we were married, we sat down. My wife's an accountant, if you didn't know this. We sat down and we made a budget and she was so happy. She had her Excel spreadsheet out and she has formulas. I mean, all the stuff, right, that uh, budget people do. And uh, I, I, you know, I mentioned to you I like, I like uh, certain types of food. I love Chinese food. love to get a fancy sandwich here and there, right? Uh, like Jersey Mike's down here. And so I was just used to, like I, would, I didn't have a ton of bills, right? I was living in a parsonage at the church before we got married. And um, I didn't have any debt really except uh, this, well, it might be that guitar. I, know, I owed a little bit on a guitar that I have. But um, I just, I mean, I had just been used to doing my own thing, right? So what I would do is I would just essentially go to lunch every day, Chinese food, Wendy's, whatever. And I'll never forget, my wife, uh, she had the accounting software at work, so um, she, like, didn't come when she usually comes, and she calls me, and she's like, uh, hey, I'm doing the budget. I'm, like, reconciling the books. And you know, we weren't doing the cash envelope thing quite yet. And uh, I, I had spent, like, three times our eating out budget just by myself, just because I kept swiping. It wasn't a credit card. It was a debit card. I kept swiping the debit card. You know, we had a couple hundred bucks for eating out, and I just kept on spending the money. That's not even counting what she spent, right? And what we figured out really quick is I said I was going to do the budget. I said that it was a priority to me, but my actions proved it absolutely was not. I might be the maddest she's been at me her whole time we've been married because I spent all of our three times our eating out budget. And I had to decide, right, if the family was important to me, my little family at that point, the proof was in the action I took to do the budget together with my wife. So I had to start keeping receipts, and eventually we did the cash envelopes. And, you know, by the grace of God, I'm much better at it now. But it showed where my priorities were. Now, Jesus, growing up as a Jewish boy, he would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. We call that the Pentateuch. He would have memorized it by the time he was a teenager. Now, I was thinking about this this week. Whether or not it carried the same difficulty for Jesus that it did for other Jewish boys, it doesn't really tell us. I mean, memorizing five, any five books of the Bible for me would be very difficult. But as we've talked about, right, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. And because Jesus was fully God, I don't know if he was born preloaded with the Pentateuch in there or not. It's a discussion at least, right? <laughs> uh, you know, knowing all the other human, human limitations he had growing up, my guess would be that he didn't have it preloaded. That he had to memorize it like everybody else. Uh, if we care when we get to heaven, we can ask that question, I guess. But regardless, we see in the New Testament, we see it all over the Bible, uh, that Scripture should be important to us. And in the actions of Jesus, we see in Matthew 4 that it was important to him. The point is that uh, when it came to the Scripture that that was available to Jesus, which was essentially the entire Old Testament, he knew it really well. And I should mention uh, as an aside to you that I'm not saying each and every one of you needs to memorize you know, the Pentateuch or five books of the Bible. It's not something I've done. It would be so difficult for me. I'm a terrible word-for-word memorizer. But Jesus shows us this very vivid example of the importance of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4, uh, 1 through 11. So if you've got your Bibles, you've turned there, let's read together. Uh, Jesus, or Matthew 4, 1 through 11, I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Several things we can take out of this passage, and honestly, um, I probably in my life I probably have preached like multiple messages out of this passage, and it could be a message or two all to itself, but we'll take a few specific thoughts out of it here. The overarching theme, though, is this, and I think I have it on the screen, that is that knowing Scripture protects us from temptation. So what Jesus is showing us here, knowing Scripture protects us humans on this earth 2,000 years ago and in 2022, it protects us from temptation. And if we're honest, all of us would say resisting temptation in this world, it's a challenge we all face. If you're a human being, resisting temptation is a challenge you face. In this encounter with Satan, Jesus, he combats three specific types of temptation, and he does it with Scripture. And in the process, he shows us how uh, it can guard us from nearly any temptation we face. And we can apply what Jesus does here. We can apply it directly to our lives. I want to show you how. First, we see there in verses 2 through 4 that Jesus is tempted with a physical need. It says there in verse 2 that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And because he was fully human, uh, we must understand that Jesus was surely physically weak. Right? He didn't have some magic thing that made it so it was easier for him to fast for 40 days. Jesus was surely physically weak. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And in Jesus' weakest moment, Satan, he becomes that voice that all of us are familiar with, right? Finds you in your weakest moments. He says, hey, Jesus, you know, you could just turn these rocks into bread and you can make your hunger go away at any moment. He's right. Hey you, hey, you remember that you're also fully God, right? You could change these rocks if you wanted. And Jesus, he's facing the same type of dilemma that we face today. Of course, we don't have the divine power uh, that he had, so it's not exactly equal. But in our lives, we are tempted all the same. We see something that we need. We feel like we're in need. Or maybe it's something we just want and we have convinced ourselves that it's a need. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I sure have. Maybe it's, we've even convinced ourselves it's something we deserve. We don't have the means to get it. And what the enemy might whisper to us is, hey, you know what you could do? Just write a different number down on your tax forms. The government will never know. They got bigger fish to fry than you. So just write something else down, get some more money back. Oh, you know what you could do? Just charge the customer 10% more than you need to, and they're never going to know. They don't know what your cost is. Oh, you've, been, you've lived a really good life. You deserve to have this. These are all things that the enemy whispers to us. And ultimately, as Satan tempts Jesus to remove control from God's hands and place it in his own, Jesus responds to temptation, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. You see where it keeps saying, it is written, Jesus is quoting scripture. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes 
from the mouth of God. He quotes scripture right back at the devil. Uh, Verse 5 and 6, we see that Jesus is tempted by Satan to test God. It says in verse 5 that Jesus, in his weakened state, he was taken to the highest point of the temple. Now, in doing some reading this week, I found that according to Jewish history, they think this probably was the southeast corner right at the edge of this place called the Kidron Valley. So the temple kind of backed up to the top of it. It probably was a drop of about 450 feet. So it was a ways up there. I believe we can identify with what Jesus faced here because Satan, he's doing something that he often does to us. And what he often says to us, what Satan says to us is, hey, if God is really real, then make him prove it. God's really real. If he really made this world, if he's really good, then make him prove it. Now, Jesus knew full well who he was, and he knew uh, full well who Satan was, and Satan knew full well who Jesus was. And what Satan's trying to do here, I believe, is trick him into giving up his humanity because Satan knew the plan. Notice what Satan does in verse 5 that is even more sneaky. Maybe sneaky, but he's not dumb. Uh, Satan quotes scripture himself. Um, if, if you look there uh, in, in verse 6, he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. and They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan quotes Psalms back at Jesus. He quotes this passage about trusting God, and he twists it to make it sound like it's okay to trust God or to test God. And in our lives, there is this temptation from the enemy to do the same thing, to say to God, hey, if you were really God, this is what Satan whispered to us, hey, if you were really God, you'd have everything you need without working, so you can just stop. God will take care of you if he's really God. There's this temptation to say to God, uh, God, if you're really God, then no one in my family will ever be sick. There's this temptation to say to God, uh, hey, God, if you really love me, then I can sin however I want to and also go to heaven because you promise you're good. But we see that Jesus, what he does, he takes uh, scripture that's correctly applied and he speaks it right back to Satan. Verse 7 says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right out of Deuteronomy. You see, what Jesus knows because he knows the Father is that there's no need to test him. Because he knows that his father is good. Finally, we see in verses 8 through 10, uh, the Satan tempts Jesus with this desire for material things. And this time, instead of the highest place of the temple, Satan took Jesus to where he could observe the entire world. And Satan tells the hungry and the tired Jesus, if you will only bow down to me, he says, Jesus, if you will just switch your allegiance from the king of heaven to the king of the air, and everything on earth will belong to you. And isn't this so similar to what we face here in our lives, day in and day out? That voice from the enemy that says to us, you know what? Yeah, like, no one cares if you follow God's laws anymore. You'd be a lot more popular. You'd have a lot more friends if uh, you, didn't, you didn't do this stuff that the Bible says. What Satan will say to us is, hey, just leave those rules behind Embrace the things of this world, then people will really start to know your name. You can have money, you can have influence, you can have all the best pictures on social media. Everyone will think you're great. If you just bow to me. And yet Jesus, even in his weakened state, he knew that the only true way to contentment 
was through his father. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13, and he says this, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus was living out in this moment what he had come to do and what he calls us to do. And that's to serve, not to be served. To trust God for whatever material things that, we may, be, that, we, that may be needed that we might need to have. And you see, the bottom line is that Jesus, he could easily discern temptation from good in this situation because he knew something that we also must know. And that's that knowing scripture helps us know the voice of God because God's voice will never contradict his written word. Someone comes to you and says, God is telling me, fill in the blank thing, but it contradicts God's word. It is not from God. And we have to understand that Jesus, when it came time uh, to answer Satan, he didn't have to unroll a scroll and read it, right? He didn't have to flip open his device or anything like that. Not that it's bad to open your Bible or your phone. Uh, The question is, how do we do it? We have to have the word of God in our hearts. So how do we do it? Um, If you are a memorizer, man, memorize it. Even if you're not a memorizer, memorize the small parts you can. That's what I have to do. Memorize it. Uh, if you're not a memorizer, even if you are, but no matter what, read it regularly. When you get in the habit of reading it regularly, it just finds its way in there. Man, find songs that have scripture in them and sing them. Even if you're a terrible singer, no one has to know. Sing in your room. Man, post it on your mirror. Put it on your steering wheel or by your speedometer or whatever. Make it so that when temptation comes, the first thing that comes out of your heart is scripture. And that's what Jesus had done here. He had hidden God's word in his heart, and when temptation came, it was the first thing that came out. And Jesus, he surely knew uh, uh, that the scripture helps us to have what we need in this life. If you look at Joshua 1.8, it says this, Jesus would have known this, Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Jesus would have known that. Jesus surely would have known, just like we can, that God's word can bring healing. Psalm 107, 20. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. You see, hiding God's word in our heart brings us everything we need on this earth. Uh, It brings healing rescues us from the grave. See, Jesus proves to us here that this massively important habit of a believer is that Jesus shows us is that a believer makes Scripture a priority. Next habit of a believer we see here in the New Testament, this is uh, the last one for today. We'll do the final two next, uh, in two weeks. But the next habit of a believer is this. Jesus knew the difference between proximity and intimacy. There's some big words there. When it comes to any type of relationship, there's a difference between being around someone and actually knowing them. You can be around someone a lot, but not, never actually know them. And even if we're, we're just around another person, even if it is on what we would call a fairly regular basis, if it's not for an extended period of time in that relationship, it never goes beyond surface level. Now, you might be able to fake your way through it. You might know what colors they like because of the clothes they always wear. You might know what kind of food they like because you happen to share a meal one time. But there's a difference between 
uh, a regular hello, goodbye, and true friendship. There's a difference between proximity and intimacy. And you see, friends, God, the Father's hope for every single one of us is that we'll find that true relationship with him. We're going to look at just uh, a short scripture in John here in a moment. Um, this is towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, that last three years that he was alive, walking on earth in his human body. And this was right when Jesus was revealing with words who he was to everyone around him. He's beginning to tell anyone who would listen that he was the literal son of God. He's just miraculously healed a lame man, but it was on the Sabbath, so the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were unhappy. They were always unhappy with him. And Jesus, he had come from the right hand of his father, and he would eventually return to the right hand of his father. He'd come from heaven, and he would eventually return to heaven. But listen to what Jesus himself, who came from the right hand of the father, listen to what he says in John 5.30. By myself, this is Jesus talking, by myself, I can do nothing. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. By myself I can do nothing, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus, though he had been as close to his father as someone could possibly be, he spent his time on earth trying to be close to his father. He spent his time on earth saying, I can't do any of this without being close to God. Not just physically close, but close enough to try and become just like him. Jesus spent time with his father close enough to try and become just like him. And there's something that happens when we really do get close to someone, right? There begins to be similarities. You know, when you spend a lot of time with someone, this happens in your family or your closest friends. And I see this so much in my kids, and it is one of the scariest things. I'm sure those of you that have raised kids in here have seen the same thing. And that is the more time they spend around us, and I mean really around us, the more like us they become. Man, it's such a heavy responsibility. Because good, bad, indifferent, they're going to become just like what they know. They're going to become just like what they know. And if they're around us, uh, we're what they know. I will never forget uh, um, in in between our, our last church in CUNA and when we started here, I ended up coaching my son's John's uh, YMCA basketball team. Uh, the coach never showed up, and I just became the coach by default, and it turned out to be really super-duper fun. I mean, it was really fun. These kids had no idea what they were doing, and it was awesome. and um, It was really fun. And uh, my son John, he had been to a couple of some city league basketball games where he watched me play and softball games, and, uh, um, you know, it's why... He was six. It's YMCA basketball. None of these kids have ever played. And I, uh, I'll never forget, we were at a game, and he did something. I remember who it was. And I heard him say under his breath, I heard him say, idiot. And I was like, he just called himself an idiot. And I got to thinking, where did he learn that? <laughs> and I started thinking about myself, the next softball game I went to. And sure enough, I know right where he learned it. <laughs> it's me every time I make a mistake. You see, he'd spent time around me, so he's becoming exactly like what he knew. And Jesus, he spent time on earth saying and doing what he had seen his father say and do. Jesus hadn't just been in proximity with God, but he knew his father. When he got to earth, he continued to get to know him. 
he continued to seek and to know God. There's this thing that we can tend to do in church if we're not careful. I'm not speaking to anybody specifically, but we can tend to do this thing in church if we're not careful, and that is sometimes we can be around the things of God without ever actually knowing him very well or at all. We can answer all the questions. We might point to the right scriptures, but we might actually not know him very well. We might come to the services. We might even put something in the offering if we feel super kind that day. But if we're not careful on this earth, if we don't spend more than just a surface time with God, we don't actually come to know him. And the problem is that when we don't actually get to know God, we don't often become very much like him. And Jesus spent time on earth trying to be like his father. If we're not careful, we don't become very much like God if we don't try to know him. And I think that I was thinking about why do we do this? I've seen this in my own life before growing up seen this in, in many, many people over the years. And I think the reason for this is that we are fearful about what really knowing God might lead to. Because here's the problem. If we really get to know God, then he might ask us to make a change that we don't want to make. If we really get to know God, if we really place our life in his hands, he might say, son or daughter, I want you to do this thing, and we might not want to do it. Not to go back to that habit that we were talking about a few minutes ago. One of the best ways to get to know God and not just have him as an acquaintance uh, is to give his written word right here in this book or on your device, however you read it, um, is to give his written word space in our lives. One of the best ways to get to know God on an intimate level is his written word. Give it space in our lives. The problem is, though, that his written word says things like what we're about to read in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. This is written to Christians right here. And it says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Man, that scripture has always been so challenging to me because if I make a decision that I am really going to know God the best that I can on this earth. After all, Jesus said, apart from his father, he can do nothing. If Jesus could do nothing apart from his father, then neither can I. And if I decide that and then I begin to go and apply things like Philippians 4, then my life is probably gonna have to look different. I'm going to have to think about whether or not the way I talk is true and noble. I love how black and white this is. Uh, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on these things. I'm going to be close to God. I'm going to have to think about whether or not the entertainment that I take in is pure and lovely. You can say a lot of things, but once you get involved in people's like movies and music and TV shows, man, then you get yourself in trouble. If I'm going to have a close relationship with God, if I'm going to know him, if I understand that I can do nothing apart from him, I'm going to have to think about if the way that I treat my family is admirable. You see, Jesus, he knew the difference between just being around his father and really knowing him. And even when he came to earth, he continued to try to be 
uh, so close to his father he could know him intimately. And as believers in Jesus, one of our habits must be to apply God's word and to truly know him better each day. And here's the wonderful part about it. And I think this is the last thing I have on the screen. God has a plan for every one of our lives. And when we keep our hearts close to God's heart, we stay close to his plan for us. If you want to know God's plan for your life, um, make scripture a priority. Get to know God in an intimate way. And he will reveal to you his plan for your life. You might not like it like you thought you would. It might be as comfortable as you thought it would be. But he will reveal it to you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're almost done this morning. Uh, I just want to give us all a chance uh, this morning to make sure that we know God. Or if you're, uh, if you're watching online, we can't do all this talk about knowing God without talking about what that means. You see, uh, like we celebrate at Christmas, God sent Jesus to earth. He lived a life with no sin. He died. He took all of our sin upon himself and he rose again. He defeated death in the grave and ascended to heaven. John 1.12 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, when we make a decision that we believe in Jesus, God gives us the right to become his children. No one's looking around, it's just me, but if you're here this morning and you are here and you say, you know what, I don't know God. Maybe I did at one point and I don't now. I'm far from him. Or maybe you never have. But if you don't know God and you want to, would you just raise your hand this morning so I can know to pray over you and pray with you. Okay, we're going to just get ready to pray and close this morning. I'm um, just going to give you a moment or two as I don't know plays and uh, just to reflect on on uh, how you can, each of us, I ask you to do this, how you can make uh, scripture a priority in your life. Just ask God uh, to reveal it to you in this moment. And, uh, and each one of us together, individually, in our hearts, but as, as one church, just make uh, a choice to know God in a personal way. Just take a moment and do that this morning before we pray. Close. God, I thank you for your word that you sent. I thank you that uh, it says things like uh, Philippians chapter 4 that challenge me. Uh, and I pray that you'd help every single person within the sound of our voices this morning uh, to do exactly what we're talking about. Uh, to make your word a priority in their life, however that looks. Uh, whether it's uh, a little more reading or, or uh, a little more memorizing. Or maybe not more reading, just more regular reading. Lord, I just pray that you would help each of us to know how we can make your scripture, your word, a priority in our life. And I pray that when we do that, uh, that we'd see fruit, Lord Jesus, that uh, your healing would come, that you'd reveal to us your plan. God, for those in this place that maybe, uh, whether they raised their hands or they didn't, uh, maybe uh, they've been keeping you at arm's length. I just pray they would go beyond that. They would remember that Jesus, when he was on earth, he knew he could do nothing apart from you. I pray you would help each one of us to know that we can do nothing apart from you. 
Lord, I pray you would overcome us with your grace and your mercy. For those that came into this place and uh, maybe they're watching online and it was just honestly a week they'd like to forget, uh, and it's on them. Lord, I pray that you would uh, minister to them your forgiveness and your grace and mercy. Uh, Lord, we love you. We place our hope and our trust in you. We thank you for this beautiful morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Friends, thanks for coming to church. Thanks for braving the snow. Thanks for getting over the sickness. Thanks for coming to church. Uh, so grateful you're here. We have regular church on Wednesday nights. Uh, please go, especially today, drive safely. Uh, don't go fast and slide off the road, although I do have a toe strap in my, toe strap in my truck. So if it's close by here, hopefully I'll find you. Uh, thanks for coming. It's a beautiful day to be at church, and we'll see you soon.